Hi, this is Chris Kotnor, executive producer of the DSR Network's family of podcasts. I wanted to tell you about an exciting opportunity we have for a podcast producer. Our ideal applicant will have a deep interest and background in international and domestic issues, podcast production experience, and our desire to help grow the podcast. The person will also take the lead on promoting programming on social media and potentially could co-host podcasts, must be comfortable working with very high-level guests worldwide, including current government officials, strong academic background in political science, international affairs, or public policy required, excellent writing skills, a familiarity with WordPress, the Riverside podcasting platform, and a willingness to do whatever it takes is essential. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, please email us at info at the dsrnetwork.com. That's info at the dsrnetwork.com. Thank you. We're excited to share that the following offer has been extended through the end of the week. We hope you become a member today. Tuesday, February 28th marks one year since we launched the DSR Daily Brief. We're showing our thanks by providing you with our best sale price ever on membership. From now through March 4th, visit the dsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DAILYBRIEF to receive 50% off our regular membership price of $50 per year or $5 per month. Members receive access to bonus content, an ad-free listening experience, exclusive blog posts, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. This is a one-time only offer, so act now. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DAILYBRIEF to receive 50% off. Thank you for your support. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Welcome to Words Matter, a podcast of the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I try to break down what our leaders are saying, doing, or not saying or doing as we enter into yet again another election cycle. And Norm, as predicted, we are going to have a lot to talk about. Uh, I can honestly confess, and uh, this may or may not be of interest, I actually have my mortgage with the bank that failed on Friday, so that uh, I will be very interested and was uh, quite concerned when you can imagine on Friday, I got the flash across my phone that probably you did as well, that the um, FDIC has gone into move and close Silicon Valley Bank in maybe some utter um, hallucination that I had. I thought maybe this means my mortgage will be canceled, but I don't think I'll get so lucky. I'm not, let's put it this way. I won't get as lucky as many of the people who did get a, a bailout in, in many aspects. I'm curious, kind of your thoughts, reactions, and then uh, when, it, when we get a chance, I might go through what I think were the sequence of events that have probably not been discussed as much uh, in, in terms of, you know, people are trying to kind of identify who's at fault. And I would argue we all are, including myself who got a mortgage from there because it was an incredibly, just I'll be honest with you, they were offering like lower rates to refinance. And I had never heard of the bank, honestly. And I had a friend who said, yeah, they're, you know, they're doing pretty competitive mortgage rates. And I thought, 
well, it's a bank and it says FDIC and what could go wrong? So there we go. <laughs> Your thoughts, Norm? Well, you know, my actually my son, Danny, who's been doing a startup out in California, had some money in the bank as every startup did. And in fact, it was almost a requirement for investors to do so. Now, you know, his was not uh, anywhere close to the presumed $250,000 limit, although that doesn't matter anymore anyhow. Uh, There's so much to talk about here in so many different ways. I want to point to two areas of failure first. One, which has now been talked about a lot, but it bears repeating, is the watering down of the regulations. It was pushed by this bank, uh, the Silicon Valley Bank and its executives, among many others. It was embraced by Donald Trump and Republicans, but we also have to note, given money in politics and just the nature of our political system, plenty of Democrats went along. A lot of them were bitterly opposed. And obviously, the part of this that matters is the so-called stress test. And that is periodically examining banks, and in particular, big and middle-sized banks, to make sure that they're not doing what it turns out Silicon Valley Bank was doing. And what it was doing, basically, was making investments that on the surface were super cautious and prudent, but in fact were utterly reckless, which is tying up your assets in low-interest, long-term treasuries that are not at all liquid, but without any understanding that almost everybody in the world had that interest rates were going to go up and probably go up significantly, that we were going to end up with some inflation, and that you were going to get caught in a vice, that all of a sudden those investments were going to be worth a lot less, you were going to take big losses, and to get rid of them if you had a run on the bank or if people needed the money, was going to be almost impossible for you. So if those regulations had been in place, it is very, very likely that they would have been barred from making those investments or talked out of it, and they would have been more realistically prudent. And whether we get the regulations back, what we're seeing, of course, what Republicans are saying is not, oops, we blew it here. It is, well, this is a woke bank. Because They were diverted into thinking about diversity and inclusion, and that's why they uh, blew it. So we have to be a little bit skeptical about whether we'll do the right thing now. The second place to turn for errors here is the Fed. The Fed regulates these banks. It's not just FDIC. It's not just the controller of the currency. And Jerome Powell and his people at the Fed blew it with this one. They should have known as interest rates were rising that it was going to create a real problem for banks. So before all of this is done, I hope we get some real oversight instead of the ridiculous phony oversight that we're seeing in the House right now under Kevin McCarthy and James Comer and Jim Jordan, get some real oversight of what the Fed did and what needs to be done and some real discussion about how you can build back in the safeguards that are obviously necessary here. But I can't say that I'm uh, wildly optimistic that we'll get that happening. And, you know, I think we should note that 
the steps that were taken were probably the necessary steps because we were beginning to see a run on other mid-sized banks and it could have created a real ripple effect. Much as it makes me gag to think of these libertarian Silicon Valley types who are decry government interference in anything until they want their own welfare, it was actually the right thing to do. So, Okay, so I have much to say here. Let me offer, though, as I sometimes try to do, when we were emailing back and forth about what to discuss, we had so much, as we mentioned, we, we actually will try to cover as um, some details emerge from the Amarillo, Texas hearing on the FDA, like the validity of the very valid FDA authorization of Mifepristone, which we've covered in pads, past pods, that is happening as we're taping for this pod, the hearing that is, and uh, details will come out after. So maybe we'll cover that in a future pod. But when you and I were emailing, I actually decided to kind of, I remember 08, and I remember very vividly um, thinking, by the way, having had no money at that time to even afford a mortgage. So I kept thinking in a I was in the White House um, in 09 thinking, oh, this could never happen to me because now we've learned, right? In 09, we've learned and this will never happen again. I do want to kind of offer that there seems to be some differences and why I don't think that this is as systemic of a problem as it was in 08, 09. But here's why. And this is just from me looking through some history about Silicon Valley Bank, which, as you mentioned, many of their depositors were startups. And what's interesting is that um, in a complete outlier, something like 97% of their depositors were above the insurance limits, meaning 97% of the deposits were uninsured. So these are kind of, you know, like, as you mentioned, startups, and they had incredibly large amounts of money that they were depositing. COVID helped that, right? Because of all the money that like flowed through to like the health and tech sector during COVID. And it essentially then Silicon Valley Bank, having sat on all this money that came in through these depositors, which were highly unusual, not regular Americans, let's put it that way, except for me that has, um, except for <laughs> who have a very regular American mortgage <laughs> that, I, that I got a good rate on, which I'm going to be very honest with people. I thought, this is great. I'm doing the American dream, refinancing my mortgage. With this bank, I had not really been familiar with, but but essentially what Silicon Valley Bank did is then lent a large proportion of that deposited money that was mostly uninsured to the federal government in the form of U.S. Treasuries, and this was when interest rates were low. And so this is a common practice. But anything I just said, correct me if I'm wrong, Norm, is not really out of line, except for this outlier of sitting on this incredible amount of money and then putting all of that money into U.S. Treasuries, which were at like a 1% interest rate at the time, and then also putting them into homeowners exactly like me when interest rates were also very like just incredibly low, historically low rates during COVID. And instead of doing that on a shorter term duration, they did this in longer term durations. I'm trying to speak as the non-banking finance person, but I've been trying to unpack and, and understand this. And then to be clear, even though it was done with, I mean, I am a taxpaying, I, I pay, I, I actually, my accountant tells me I overpay my taxes because I'm always worried that I'll get accused of shortcutting something one day. So I'm a taxpaying, wanted to find a good interest rate refinance. I did everything by the book. However, it's the bank's management that was making these critical mistakes, not just recently. This has been, the Wall Street Journal, I found an article, Norm. October of 2022, 
And shame on me, by the way, I got my bank financing two years ago and then I just kind of turned it off. I didn't, they were just like a bank that I put an auto payment to and honestly didn't pay attention to. October of 22, there was an article in a series of articles that came out in the fall about the overinvestment and this kind of hedge that they were making on the management side on these large, you know, government securities. And basically when interest rates then rose, fewer deposits came in because that that venture capital funding was starting to dry up as well. And then the market value of those securities, both my long-term mortgage and then the treasury, like the securities in the form of US treasury notes, all of that value came crashing down because who would want to buy a 10-year treasury at 1% when you could directly buy one from the government, which also, by the way, disclosure, I did directly from the government at, I bought mine. There was an offer for a one-year $10,000 treasury note for uh, 9%, no more than $10,000, which is fine because that's a lot of money. And so why would I go and buy anything at 1%? So then this brings up the fact that in fact, this bank, to your point now of it's not just the FDIC, and actually I would say the FDIC This was, interestingly enough, over the weekend, I learned, as you've already pointed out, this is not just one entity. It's actually a combination, FDIC, Treasury, outside of, you know, Treasury itself, FDIC, an independent kind of corporation funded by member banks. And then, as you point out, the Fed. And then I think somewhere in there, Congress, because of Dodd-Frank, right? So we have to talk about Dodd-Frank. Maybe you can touch on that for a second. So it was like a tripartite, maybe four parties had to come to agreement about what to do in the case of the bank's insolvency. And basically, they've been technically insolvent for months. And the company basically had more assets than liabilities, but a huge chunk of those assets could not turn liquid into cash. Otherwise, they could have been decent. And so that's the situation they were in. I actually listened to a recording of a Zoom call their CEO did on the Thursday, last Thursday, literally the day before the bank, uh, government came in and shut them down. And it, I just heard a, a snippet of it. It's on YouTube for anybody interested. It, it basically just, he said, you know, we are sound, we are solvent. It's never been a better time to think about Silicon Valley Bank. And then not just 24 hours later, we find out that lo and behold, the CEO and a number of the management team sold off many of their stock. They had also Here's what you may not know, Norma. I don't know if this is in the paper. I heard Andrew Ross Sorkin say this on MSNBC, and I don't know if it's been carried enough through. It has in Twitter, but for our listeners, Friday on on Friday, March 10th, the very day they got shut down when I wondered, maybe your son wondered what's happening, what's going on to their money and, and to my mortgage and, and what this means. They got bonus payouts. The entire executive management team and many of their management got their bonus payouts. To be sure... That was a scheduled bonus payout that everybody knew was going to happen on schedule for 2022. But could you imagine that those deposits hit the bank and yet wires are people trying to get their money out? And then the other piece that you brought up, and then I'll stop and see what you think. And maybe we can talk about Dodd-Frank because that hasn't come up enough yet. The other part that I will say is what you brought up with not just like kind of Silicon Valley tech bros, but a very small circle of Twitter tech bros that saw what was happening and then literally, literally took their money out, told their firms and their employees and their small companies, startup companies rather, to take their money out. And that is what is a very common failure mode for banks, what we call a bank run. 
and so the and, and and if a depositor fears that a bank is running out of money, obviously l- logic would behold that you would want to pull your funds, but it makes it worse. And that's why I think you saw many senators, the president himself, coming out to the podium on you know mon- early yesterday Monday morning rather to say banks are so- you know we are in charge of these two banks, one that was smaller in uh, the New York region, but the American banking system is sound. Basically, was the Biden's words. All right, Norm, react to that, or maybe talk about yeah. Dodd Frank and the role here. That I th- well, Frank first, I think it's worth uh, talking a little bit about uh, the bank runs. What does a bank do? A bank takes your money in, and it doesn't hold it there in its vaults. It takes the money, paying you either nothing or a small rate, does mortgages where it brings in your money, paying a low rate, but it takes that money and invests it for itself with the idea that it will make money by investments that will pay off more than they're paying out to hold other people's money. Now, no bank keeps on hand or anywhere close by, anywhere close to the money that people have put in. And so if you get a panic and people say, oh, we need our money now, banks are in trouble. You go back to the Depression. And the whole reason for creating the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and putting the federal government's guarantee behind deposits for most Americans, for a long time, it was still a large amount, $100,000. And then it went to $250,000 with the, the 2008 crisis, and it's stayed there. But the idea was you don't need to panic. You don't need to worry, even if there's an issue in this bank you'll be made whole. And it's paid for by the banks themselves putting in money. It's uh, insurance. We don't normally have bank panics and bank runs. This was one. And it would have been more easily resolved, obviously, if they had put their money into assets that were liquid. Uh, This was colossal failure on the part of the management. And what I hope will happen now is that not only are they fired, they're out, they're not going to be involved anymore with this bank. Remember, it was the CEO who was one of the most active lobbyists to try and weaken the regulations with the absurd argument, by the way, that Silicon Valley Bank wasn't a big or mid-sized bank, it was just a small one, which was not the case. But I hope they claw back and find a way to claw back what they made in those bonuses, whatever they were for, the payout should not have been made given where the bank was. But also, I hope the Justice Department and the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, will look carefully at these sales of stock. If the bank executives knew, and my guess is there are probably emails and other communications that will tell us, If they knew that they were on the verge of collapsing or having an issue taking place and they dumped their stock, that is most likely illegal. And they're miscreants here. I have to say, Kavita, my first reaction when I heard that Peter Thiel, who's not one of my favorite people, had led this bank run, it was, boy, I'd like to find out what the motive was here. Now, in retrospect, I think we can say, He, as some others, were smart enough to see that this bank was in a precarious place because of the reckless actions of its management. 
and that maybe it was actually a reasonable motive. Let's get out before it turns really bad. But, you know, we also have to look at apparently one firm, and a lot of this money is crypto money, which to me is a warning signal in and of itself. Apparently, one crypto firm I have read had $3.3 billion in this bank. And while, you know, okay, I understand all of the prudent reasons for making people whole, what the hell is going on when you know that there is an FDIC limit of $250,000 and you're gambling with billions when stuff can happen? So. It's not like the uh, people who are being made whole necessarily deserve to be made whole. And when I see these, I'll come back to it. It's just so obnoxious to see these Silicon Valley libertarians who decry government, most of whom are probably saying, how can you give back these uh, uh, student loan payments to people who cut, got into a deal? This is what capitalism is all about. Now are welfare queens, basically. They're all begging, crying, and pleading for the government to bail them out. Uh, well, we're going to bail them out because it's in the national interest to do so, but nobody should uh, have their eyes uh, closed to the hypocrisy here. Yeah, so let's, uh, let me do my best to try to figure out how to summarize, like, then what goes forward and, and how has... I mean, there have been others on television and the written word kind of now we're here as well to talk about, have we prevented what I was hoping that this was, I saw as more of a less systemic issue, but certainly something that could be a problem. And people are saying for um, regional banks of different places and different sizes, we saw the New York Regional Bank close that didn't get too much attention, but something the government did. And then also people worried about a run on other regional banks like um, in Virginia, First Republic. There's some other ones that are in the area. And, and I think the government making it, what, what the government doing by stepping in is essentially saying that we're going to guarantee deposits at this, you know, this particular bank, Silicon Valley Bank, but that we're not necessarily guaranteeing all deposits at what they call systemically important banks and I think that's what limited to like what Bank of America, um, maybe Wells Fargo, Capital One, I mean, our US, there's a handful, PNC, there's just a handful of banks that probably fit into that profile. I can tell you, I have, um, I said I had my mortgage at Silicon Valley Bank. I, I have my regular banking. I have two banks. Ironically, I still keep a Senate Federal Credit Union Bank. I actually am glad that I do so that uh, it, I feel like that's going to be the bank that really should not fail or if it does, it's last in line to fail because it's guaranteed by like every federal worker and pension employee in the federal system. And then I use Capital One. I got an incoming of um, just the spam email and calls from Capital One that kind of all these new offers to open accounts. And so you can tell that even if you know Silicon Valley Bank was kind of a smaller bank, I think they said number 16 by size, it has a real ripple effect and it's meaningful. And I think that these are not small issues to be taken lightly. So here's the question, and maybe we'll close here. Now, what I'm worried about, Norm, is that whatever Biden's words are, there seems to be a message that that 250,000 FDIC limit, which I hope every listener on this podcast actually has 
the daily opportunity to be uninsured because they're going in above that amount. I would love to see that happen in the United States. However, it does seem to me, call me a call me a you know a luddite, does seem like they are pretty much whatever their words are. They're making effective that that FDIC two fifty is not relevant. So. What does it matter to even have that insurance ceiling? Does it matter? What do you think would happen if, let's say, we hear about some other banks kind of getting toppled or getting close to teetering? Norm, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so it's a complicated issue in some ways. Silicon Valley Bank did not completely run out of money. And obviously, what's going to happen here? We're getting all these assurances, which I believe that taxpayers are not going to be on the hook for this. What the government is going to do is turn the securities that Silicon Valley Bank has into some other investments, and they're going to take money from other banks to be able to fulfill all of this for whatever other losses occur. Of course, the idea that taxpayers aren't going to pay if banks have to pour a lot of money into this, they're going to find other ways to get the money back, which is going to come from their depositors. But I can understand the reasons for doing this. And I can understand saying, okay, there is no moral hazard effect here, but there is a moral hazard issue. And what happens going forward? If people now believe that there is no limit, it's not going to affect most of America, which doesn't have $250,000 to throw around or large sums of money beyond that to put in. But those who do, including businesses, may now be less prudent about what they do with their money. And they may end up putting that money into banks that are even more reckless. Maybe what we'll find is, getting back to what you said, and it's going to be interesting to see if there are ripple effects uh, here, Kavita. So the big banks are going to try and take advantage of this. And the smaller, medium-sized regional banks, where people now are thinking, oh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't keep my money there, and businesses that might do that, are going to be in more trouble. So they may decide that they need to offer better deals, higher interest paid out for money put into checking accounts or money market accounts, lower interest rates for mortgages, which gives them more exposure, after all, if interest rates go up. If that's the case, then we're going to have more risk in these small and medium-sized banks. And if People, including businesses, say, hey, they're paying more money and there's no problem with the $250,000 limit. I'll put in millions. We're going to have a bigger problem down the road. I mean, this is one where our regulators are going to have to figure out how to strike a different uh, balance here, or we could see history repeating itself uh, in a bad again way. and again. Yeah. And in a, and especially if um, yeah, these discrete sectors where these regions happen to be like a, like First Republic, which I, I mean, I know it has other locations that a lot of government workers, a lot of city workers, municipal workers, pension funds that invest money and invest in these regional banks. So it is a ripple effect. Like Peter Thiel can take out his money and billions of dollars and cause this sucking void and a bank run. And, and then the, the, like the aftershocks or the knock-on effects, as they call it, could be seen for, honestly, as you're pointing out, for months and years later. Well, we will stay tuned because the you know the, the Treasury Department did announce that they are launching an investigation, which is what we expected. And uh, I'm assuming that that former CEO of SVB, whose name I cannot remember, but the Zoom video that was captured on YouTube, 
I have a good gut feeling that he should probably just get a suite at the Mayflower very close to Congress and to the White House because he's going to be there for a while. So that hopefully will bear some fruit over the next weeks and we'll keep our listeners posted. Wanting to thank everyone for being an incredible listener and hope that if you enjoyed today's discussion of not just bank failures, but uh, kind of a meandering of the week's events, that you will rate, review, and subscribe and tell your other friends to subscribe to Words Matter podcast. The production of the DSR Network, our incredible executive producer is Chris Cottonoir, and our wonderful, amazing producer for this podcast is Grant Paver. Our next pods will be in your inbox on, should be March 23rd, and we look forward to seeing you then.